we want to welcome those of you who are watching, um, I believe streaming, and we just say thank you for worshiping with us. To our friends in Iceland, to Walt and Brenda, who I am positive are watching us this morning, and anyone else, and any guest that has come here for the first time, uh, I just want to say welcome. You are not here just by happenstance. You are here with a purpose. You are here because God saw it right for you to get up, and he moved your heart, started your car, and brought you here. So, Grace Point, my new family. Getting to know people is always a little hard for me. It's, it, it takes so much out of me. And so sometimes I have to just kind of step back from what uh, God has called me to do, and I have to remember that I belong. So I want you to look to the person that is sitting next to you and say, I belong. Now look to the other side and say, you belong. Yes, to be in the house of God is to belong. To be a part of a family is to belong. So I just want to ask you for one moment, if you'll just bow your heads with me, just for two more seconds. Father God, we are your people, and this is all about you. Fill us. Give us your word. Talk to us. Talk to our hearts. And that is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, as I was studying for this topic, as I was trying to figure out what do I say, I came across Exodus chapter 33. And there's a verse in Exodus chapter 33, verse, uh, verse, uh, what is, verse 18, where Moses asked God to show him his glory. And as I sat with that, I was a little bit missed. I'm like, show me your glory, show me your glory. I'm like, what does that even look like? To see God's glory. I mean, in today's context, what does that look like? And so I started to read and I started to study. And as I started to read Exodus, I, just, I came to this place where I started to get this imagery in my head. And, it, and I want to bring you on this journey with me. So I, I'm going to ask you guys, like we did in kindergarten and in romper room, for those of you are, who are that old, or uh, uh, to close your eyes with me for a moment. I'm going to paint a picture that is found in Scripture, because that's going to set us where the people of Israel are. And I think the setting is completely important. The Word says that there was a lot of thunder there was a lot of lightning, and there's this thick cloud, and there's sounds of trumpets. And, and, and you're seeing this big mountain, and everyone is shaking. The people of God are shaking. The entire mountain is covered in fire. It's like a 7,500-foot furnace. And then the earth starts to, sh to shake. The trumpets grow louder, and, and Moses, Moses starts to speak to God, and God speaks back. And, and there's all this spectacular scenery going on, and the people of God are frightened. 
And then God says, Moses, come up. And for the next 40 days and 40 nights, the people of Israel are all hanging out at the base of this mountain. The clouds, the the lightning, the thunder, all of it. And so God says, God is talking up to Moses. And Moses is, is, is trying to receive the word from God. And, and then so as, as they're doing this, having this conversation, the people down, in, down at the base of the mountain, they're, they're getting anxious. They're getting worried. They're, they're wondering, when is this going to end? And so the Bible tells us in chapter 32 of Exodus that the people of God start to get worried. And so what do they do? They create an image. They create an idol. And then as God and Moses are planning their future, the people of God are hanging out down here, and they're making an idol. And so God tells Moses what's going on, and Moses, and he sends Moses back down. Moses takes in this entire scenery. And all of a sudden, he's just filled with anger. He's upset. And so he starts throwing things, and he's angry, and he's telling people, like, he's asking the hard questions. What is going on? What have you done? And finally, Moses, before he makes the choice, before he makes the decision of what needs to happen, he tells the people, those of you who are on God's side, come stand with me. Those of you who are not, you can, you're going to die. And so people die. And so this is the scenery that's happening at the base of this mountain. And then God, God says, Moses, just leave me alone. I need some time for myself. So Moses goes back and he gives God the time. And it, look, and it seems that God comes back and he tells Israel, okay, it's time to go. You guys need to leave this place, pack up your stuff. I'm sending you to the promised land. Everything's taken care of. My CEO is going to make sure you get there. Your enemies, they're not going to bother you. They're not going to take the land from you. They're not going to give you any any issues. I'm going to drive them out. There's going to be enough land for everybody to have their own parcel. Your animals are going to have enough grassland. All the food you eat is going to be organic. It's going to be the best steak and meat you've ever had. There's going to be fruit in abundance. The soil is going to be so fragrant and so full of nutrients, you're not even going to have to work it very very much. You can throw some seeds into it, and it'll be fine. You'll get this wonderful, wonderful food. You'll have enough water. You won't be traveling anymore. You're not going to have to complain. But here's the deal. I'm not going with you. God says to his people, I'm not going with you. Now, what is worth noting just in this one text right here is that God will send his people to places where he's not going to be. God is going to send you to places where he is not going to be. In other words, he will give you a blessing but he's not going to be in the blessing. God will place his people in situations where he will test their faithfulness, and will they choose the gift 
Will they choose the presence or will they choose his presence? And I believe this is the crux of the entire Bible. It is, it is this decision that you and I face every single day. Am I going to just choose the presence that God gives me or do I want his presence? You see, God is more. He's more than just this visual experience. Yes, he'll do whatever he needs to do to grab our attention. He'll become a cloud that'll lead us. He'll become ten plagues that'll break us out of Egypt. He'll become a stick that will open an ocean and turn it into a walk-through aquarium. He will become a stick that will turn that will turn acidic water into the sweetest thing you've ever had. He will become this God who will actually throw down some quail every day and bake bread without an oven to get our attention. But the problem with that is when we start looking for the presence and we forget the God and his presence. You see, God had done all these visual miracles for Israel because they had been oppressed for so long. They had, been wor- they had learned to worship other idols. They were surrounded by things that, like we are today, just, just things consuming our time and our energy. And so God had to create these miracles so that Israel would realize that these gods made of, of stone, made of wood, and made of, of clay, there was nothing to them. And so God had to do that for them. In fact, Israel had grown so used to what they could see that there comes a point when they're in the desert that they say, because they don't have enough to eat, they say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? At least in Egypt, we had food. And in other words, what they're saying is, I'd rather be enslaved and be oppressed and have food than to be in your presence and be free. So God's people, God's people, I want to ask you this morning, where are you when it comes to the presence that God gives us and its presence? Do you long, do we long, do we crave for God's presence? And so after God has said to the people, I'm not going with you, the Bible says that they're in shock that they can barely breathe, that anxiety sets in, depression sets in, they're crying, they're wailing, because they can't comprehend that this God who has been with them for the last three or four months is not going to be with them anymore. And the reason that God is not going to go with them, and I think this is important, it it really hit me, is the two reasons that God gives as to why he's not going to go with Israel is because he calls them stiff-necked people, And then he says, because if I go with you, I actually might have to kill you. Now, some of us have a little tension with this God that does this. But just just stay with me. Just stay with me. Because anyone knows that as as you learn about God and you learn about his character, he's really all about saving. So has anyone, anyone of you ever woken up with a stiff neck? Ah, I see heads moving, so you didn't wake up with a stiff neck this morning. But 
I've, I've often woken up with that. I've either slept wrong or pulled a muscle. And one of the most irritating hard things about when you have a stiff neck is you have limited motion. So you have to turn your whole body. You have to, you know, if someone's calling your name, you can't just turn anymore. You have to be all like, why? And so there's limited motion. And, and then on top of that, not only do you have limited motion, but you actually have limited vision. You're only limited into the direction that your neck has decided to stay. And so when God is calling his people stiff necked, I believe what he is addressing is the rigidness of their view. In other words, the people had a very particular view of who God was. Their vision was very one-minded, one, one vision. It was tunnel vision. They couldn't see. So as they're sitting at the base of the mountain, as they're watching all this God's grandeur happen, they're still thinking about Egypt. Their eyes are just still focused on Egypt. And as the days go by, as one day turns into 10 days, 10 turns into 20, 20 turns into 30, their vision starts turning back to their old gods. You see, when you and I have a very rigid vision about who God is, we start looking back at things that really have no value. When we have a very rigid vision of how God is going to react to us, we sometimes decide, I don't want that God. But God is bigger than all of that. God is bigger. God, God, God is a God who can worship in this worship center as well as a sanctuary, as well as outside of it. There is nothing that contains the God we serve. And so when God takes too long in responding to your requests, to your prayers, what do you do? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? What idols do you create? Because your eyesight is very limited. And listen, I get it. We live in a time and a society right now that everything has to be visual. There was a time when you could actually pick up the phone and be satisfied talking to the person. But now, what do we do? We FaceTime. We want the visual. We want people to know our experiences. We want to show them our experiences. So we take these pictures. We take these little Instagram videos, and we're showing people what we're doing because we want to be able to see what others are doing. And so Moses, Moses has now interceded. The tent that used to sit in the middle of the town of the people had been moved to the side. And so Moses, after God has said, you know, you're stiff neck and I want to kill you. If I have to go with you, I want to kill you. I'll have to kill you because you guys are just, you're, you're not listening to me. You don't want me. And, and I know sometimes we struggle with that picture of God, but this is what I learned about God's character is that sometimes God will create distance in order to save us from ourselves. You see, because God is God, he can't be somewhere where he's not wanted. And so God says, let me distance myself. I love you too much. I don't want to be put in a place where I feel like I have to take you out. I want to be able to just give us some space. 
so you can get some clarity to what is happening. The presence of God is everything, church family. The presence of God is what keeps us and saves us from decisions that will take us down bad roads. And so Moses intercedes. The, the Bible says that he goes and he intercedes at the temple. And then he, get, he changes God's mind and he's not going to destroy them. And so now, with genocide off the table, Moses, Moses has seen the character of God, that it will change his mind. Not because he needs to be forced into it, because God's nature is to love and to save people. And Moses is captivated. Moses is completely drawn into this God who was just five minutes ago ready to kill his people. And at the same time, he's just like, no, I'll change my mind. There was a love. There was, a, there was an experience that Moses had with God. There was a relationship that Moses had been building with God in which he started to realize the presence of God is more than the gifts that he gives. And then the text begins, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me. I'll be reading from Exodus 33, verse 12. Through 23, verse 12 to 23. And it says, and it, and, and it says that Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, You know me by name, and that you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know that so I may know you and continue to find favor with your with you remember this remember that this nation is your people the lord replied my presence will go with you and i will give you rest then moses said to them if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and that you and that your people and with your people unless you go with us what else will distinguish us and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And then the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim, I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for anyone may not see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near, near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face you must not see. And so what I love about this text, this exchange is, these first few verses, is that Moses, having experienced that God is so generous, he comes up to God and he kind of starts talking to him and he's like, you know, God, you've been saying all these really great things about me. 
you've been telling me that, that you know my name and that I have your favor, and I really appreciate all of that. But there's something I want to talk to you about. And then God interjects and says, Moses, I'll do it. And what I find fascinating about this, because it speaks to how God is, as, is that he's willing to give things before we even ask. And that's what, he, that's what he does with grace. Before, the, before we can form the words in our mouth, God is already saying, here, I want to give this to you. And that's, and that's just, it just, it's just so mind-boggling to me because somehow as we grow up, we start learning that we have to approach God in a very particular way. We have to butter him up and soften him up and say, God, you are amazing. You are the alpha. You are the omega. You are the beginning and the end, and there's no one like you. And God is just like, I'm not concerned with the titles. I want you to tell me what's in your heart, and I know what you want, and you're too afraid to ask, so I'll just give it to you. I'll just give it to you. But what's even more profound and more exciting about God is that not only does he give him a quick response, but he gives him more than what he asked for. He's, Moses is just wanting God's presence to go with them. And God says, not only will I give you my presence, but I'm going to give you rest. How many of you are tired this morning? How many of you are tired of the job that you have to go to every day? And some of you don't even like your job. Some of you are tired of being in broken relationships. Some of you are tired of the anger you feel towards somebody some of you may be tired about the worry and the anxiety of paying bills. Some of you are tired of having to stress about your health. And God says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He actually even gives us an entire day of rest. That's how amazing God is. He says, you know what? No, I'm not even going to try and just take care of these small problems. I'm going to give you 24 hours to take time to just rest, because that is how important rest is. And God is offering to his people not only his presence, but the rest. The rest from your enemies, the rest from the hard work, the rest of being oppressed, the rest from being enslaved. God is wanting to give rest. That is a generous God. And it's funny because Moses still keeps talking. He's talk, 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 talk. And he's really not listening. And this reminds me of the time that I got engaged. So if anybody knows me, I, I really like shoes. And um, as Mark and I dated, um, I told him, I said, listen, I don't want a ring. I just want a nice pair of shoes. And so thinking he really hadn't listened to me, um, one Sabbath after lunch, he said, come on, we're going somewhere. And I said, sure, let's go. And, you know, he's acting kind of weird, but in my head, like, literally, I had no idea this was going to happen. If anybody knows my husband, he's a little bit of a turtle when it comes to commitment. <laughs> Took me forever. Just kidding. But anyway, um, and so he says, come on, let's go. And I said, all right, let's go. So we're headed to Napa. And then um, there was this jewelry store I had seen there before, and I thought, oh, maybe he just, yeah, you know, we're going to go just look at rings. And then, um, but and then he just says, no, let's go into this place. And there, it's this beautiful little shop that exists there in downtown Napa called Eye Candy. 
and the whole store is shoes. And so I was like, what are we doing here? And he's like, oh, just go look, just go. I said, I don't really want to look at shoes today. I like, I just, you know, I, what are we doing here? Because they are a little bit on the high side. And so I was like, there's, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be here right now. But he insisted and he insisted. And, and finally, I had picked out like four pair. The girl brings out all four pairs of shoes. And then I'm trying, I'm like, no, no, no. And then I finally pull one up. And I bring the shoe up to me, and this ring falls back. And so I take the ring, and I was like, miss, someone lost their ring. And she's just walking. She's like, I don't even want to talk right now. And so, and I'm just like looking at this. I'm totally stiff-necked because I can't even look at what's going on behind me. I have this particular vision of what I thought our proposal was going to be like. And so... I'm looking at the ring, and then I turn around, and I see Mark on one knee, and then I just started to talk. I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get off the floor, because now people are watching, and I'm getting, get off the floor, this is crazy. And then as, as, we, as it starts setting in, and I'm talking, I'm like, have you talked to my parents? Have you talked to my parents? And I mean, and I'm just talking, and Mark is just, and he's talking, but I'm not listening to anything he's saying. He's asking me the question I've been wanting him to ask for three years. And by, but I am so, so focused on this piece of the conversation that I'm not listening to what Mark is offering me the very thing I had wanted. And that is what was happening with God and Moses. God is offering Moses the very thing he wanted, but Moses is more concerned about what, how do I do this? What do I need to say? What do I, what do I do? But God is funny. God is funny to me because he just allows it to play out. And God, it just says, Moses, relax. I'm going to do everything you're asking of me because I'm pleased with you and because I know your name. I know your name. One of the interesting things about being married to a pastor is that you're always in a, bunch, in a lot of social settings and you're constantly meeting people. Now, I know people think that pastors really like talking up in front. I'm one of those that's much more, no, this is more of a challenge for me. And so being in social settings with a lot of people also can sometimes be a little overwhelming. So there was an, uh, an occasion where Mark and I were um, at one of his functions. And I was in a group of people, a group of women actually. Ladies, listen to me, uh, listen to this. And these ladies were all talking, and I don't know any of them, but, you know, I'm just like, hi, my name's Marlene, nice to meet you. And, you know, the ladies are saying, and this one lady in particular, um, she just said, oh, hi, and was kind of a little dismissive. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and so, you know, I'm standing there talking, and all of a sudden, here comes my husband. And then all of a sudden, somebody wanted to know my name. See, they didn't want to know my name for who I am. They wanted to know my name because of who I know. And God right now is saying to you, 
I don't want to know you for who you know. I want to know you for who you are. God wants to know you by name. And in order for God to know you by name, we have to spend time with him. In conveying the idea that Moses, that God knew Moses' name, what God was really saying to him is, Moses, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Moses, I created you in my image. Moses, you were built for my glory. God knows your name, Jennifer. God knows your name, Michaela and Caitlin. God knows your name, Sheila. God knows your name, Carlene, Alan, Vanessa. God knows your name. And so this, 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 all this intimacy that's happening in this moment with God is pushing Moses to ask the most audacious request that has ever been asked in all of Scripture. Moses was feeling bold. He said, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God, God is this, I think God had to have paused for a moment. You see, when I think about Moses asking to see God's glory, it kind of, I was just like, well, Moses, you've seen a lot of God's glory for Pete's sake. I mean, you saw a burning bush talk. You saw, you saw one serpent eat two other serpents. You have seen the ocean part. I mean, you had, if anyone had seen God's glory, it was Moses. And what that tells me, church family, is that God's glory, God's presence is not found in the big things. God's glory and God's presence is not found in the big houses, in the impressive cars in the bank accounts, in the relationships. God's, God's presence is not found in who people say we are. God's presence is found in his presence of intimacy. And Moses and God are having this intimate moment. And as God and Moses have this intimate moment, Moses wants more. Moses wants more. See, that's what happens when you and I spend time with God. We want more. How many of you remember, can recall that, that one moment in your, in your Christian experience where you have felt so close to God that you felt like he was right next to you? I remember my moment. It changed my life. And I've been chasing that moment again and again. But here's the thing. The more we chase this moment, it just feels like we're not there. We just feel like we're not satisfied. Maybe, maybe this illustration will help fill it out for you. Suppose all of us are 10-ounce cups. And when, we, when we're filled to the brim, we're satisfied. And so, as, and, 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 when we, and when we feel satisfied, we're like, okay, I've had enough. Well, our relationship with God is, somehow, is kind of like that experience we had with him where we felt full. 
And so we hold on to that experience as like, this is phenomenal, and we're chasing this experience over and over. And, and the struggle is, we kind of say, okay, I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to spend time with God, I'm going to do all these things, but we don't quite feel full enough. And so what's happening? Is God not giving us enough? Is God not giving us more because we're failing not to pray hard enough, not to do enough things? But here's the thing. The more time that we spend with God, the bigger our heart grows. Can we agree on that? And so God has to give us a bigger cup. Ten ounces is not enough to hold what God has to give because our, our, our capacity for more has grown bigger. And so what used to fill you is no longer enough. You want more. You want more of God, not just of his things. You want more of his presence. And Moses, that's what Moses is after. He's not after the presence just for Israel, but he's, he's after that presence that is intimate to him. And so God says, all right, I will show you my presence, but you can't see all of it. You can't see all of it because you can't handle it. I'm too much. I'm too big, and you can't see it, but I'll give you just enough to fill your cup again. Now, here's the thing with glory, church family. Glory, everybody wants glory. Everybody wants to be, you know, the, the five, wants their five seconds of fame. But nobody, what, what we don't really understand is what it takes to reach glory. I mean, talk, I, w- I looked up how long it takes an athlete to become an Olympian. And it's something absurd of starting from the age of eight all the way to like they're almost 19, working every day. I, I think it was like, I can't remember how many hours. It was, it was just a cr- an absurd amount of hours. And they've worked hard and they've sweat all for the possibility of having the glory of the gold there at the Olympics, right? Well, it's no different in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God to reach glory is you got to go to some high places. You got to go to some scary places. And that's what God says to Moses. If you want to see my glory, then I need to take you up to another level. Seeing God's glory can be dangerous, church family. But God God reassures us that he is with us. And so God, and here's, this, this imagery of God saying, I'm going to put you on this rock next to me. And I love that because that's a personal God. He's like, I'm not going to put you out there right now. I know all this is really scary for you, but I'm going to put you right next to me. And then when I'm ready, I'm going to take you from this high mountain that we're on and I'm going to put you into a cleft. Now, I didn't know what a cleft was. I had to look that up. And let me tell you, I don't want to be in a cleft. The, the space of those things is probably like that much. But God is saying, if you want to see my glory, I'm going to put you in even a tighter position. Because the, the, that, that little tight position, you may only see a little bit of me, but you're going to get enough of me. And so that is what God does. And Moses 
has the awesome experience of seeing God's best. Man, I'd be happy if I just saw his pinky at this point in my life. But God showed himself to, to Moses in a way that totally transformed his life. Church family, to be in God's presence is to be intimate. To have God's presence is to say, I will follow you wherever you go. To have God's presence is to value not the things that we have and the things that we see, but to sit with God and go to dangerous places. See, the reason, the reason that I know that this presence was significant and it challenges me is because when Moses came down from the mountain, his face literally had to be covered. That glory, that experience with God had literally changed him. And that is what God is challenging us this morning. To have such an experience with him that the people around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, are going to see this shining glory coming from our face. And they're going to say, what's that about? What makes you glow? What is making you so happy? Because that is the gospel, church family. That is the gospel. When we follow God up to mountains, things happen. You see, Jesus, Jesus went up to a mountain and he was transfigured. Jesus went up to a hill and he died. But the gospel tells us that he rose again. So if you're feeling that you're, gonna, you're about to die, let me tell you, the gospel says that you will rise again. That is the gospel of God. That is the gospel of this book that we read. That is the presence of God. And I want to challenge each and every one of us in this room, and myself included, to not want the presence, but to want God's presence. I'm going to be vulnerable in this, this last moment because it's, it's real to me. I've been struggling with this sermon because it, for, for, for many reasons. And as I was getting ready this morning, God told me why I had been struggling. As I was sitting there, and, I, and I'm, I'm being vulnerable, I'm being real, so please don't judge me. But God said to me, you're struggling because you want the presence. You're not interested in my presence right now. You see, I was more interested in you liking me. I was more interested in you thinking that I'm a great preacher. I was more interested in wanting your glory and not God's glory. And it humbled me. It broke me. Because I, in everything I'm trying to do, I want God's glory. And yet, here I was, trying to preach the word of God's presence, and I wasn't even that interested in, in that. 
what we've all wanted. The struggle is real. The challenges are hard. But I just want to tell you this morning that God knows your name and that he will take you to places you've never been to before if you just say, show me your glory.